Hello, this is Deacon David Egan, and you're now listening to WSFI 88.5, a Deacon's Roundtable. Joining me in the studio is Deacon Michael Landi from St. Mary the Annunciation in Fremont Center. And on the phone, we have Deacon Richard Hutzik, the Vicar for Deacons of the Archdiocese, and Deacon Greg Webster, who is uh, traveling. And we also have two very special guests today, Castra, and I'm going to kill the last name, Kashaz, who is with the uh, Mundelein Seminary in the, uh, the Diaconate Formation Program, and Melissa Haju, who was a member of, she's a member of the Diaconate community. Her husband was ordained a couple years ago and a very unfortunate, untimely death. Today's subject is going to be the Diaconate and the Wives Formation. Kasha is actually leading that program, so Kasha, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, thank you. Uh, glad to be here, glad to be in this conversation with everyone. I'm Kasha Kashaj. I'm the Associate Director at the Institute for Diaconal Studies, which is part of Mundelein Seminary, University of St. Mary of the Lake up in Mundelein. Just to get us started with your first question, we have a four-year program of formation for men discerning the diaconate. Aspirancy path is one year, candidate path is the next three years. The majority of men in the program are married, so we do attend pretty closely to the wives because sacramental marriage comes first. Uh, before these men can consider holy orders and the diaconate, they also have to be sure that their marriage is strong and remains strong. And in fact, the national directory uh, says that a married man who is possibly considering the diaconate must comply with the wishes of his wife, of course, in a spirit of mutual commitment and love. So the wife is an equal partner in this process. She has to be able to give informed consent um, and pray and support for and pray for and support her husband. Um, and beyond that, her role can take many different forms. So we help the wives understand more about the diaconate, invite them to participate in many, many parts of the formation process uh, beyond some of the required events. And um, we help uh, put her in small support groups. We help her form friendships with the other women in the program, those in the years ahead of her as well, um, and help her to really um, look ahead and to think about whether uh, she can continue to support her husband, whether the program and future ministry will integrate well with their family life and everything that, that they do already. Oh, that sounds very good. That's actually something that program that was not actually set up when I went through uh, training a number of years ago. And it sounds like with that, there is a lot more support and understanding as people go through the path towards ordination. So that's very good to hear that as being done. Um, one of the other questions that I had that uh, when I was going through, there was essentially a one set of formation where all the couples went to. And so I guess now, from what you were saying, there's sort of a split between mm -hmm. the diaconate, the male formation for the deacons, and then the wives. Why is that, and what's going on with that? Sure. I would say it's probably not so much a split. Uh, what we have, you know, we have one formation program. We're really laser-focused on forming men for the diaconate. And then wives, we ask them to participate in a number of those formation sessions. Some of it is spiritual direction. Some of it is small theological reflection groups. Some of it uh, includes academic pieces on the history, theology, and spirituality of the diaconate. 
just so that they are building that informed consent. They understand what the ministry means, some of its history, what it's about, what it will require of them and their husband, and maybe some of the sacrifices that their family will have to make as um, the man continues his formation. Um, so we ask wives to participate in those pieces. We ask them to participate in a number of different uh, liturgies, a number of retreats. Um, and we do provide some special retreat and recollection days for the wives alone so that they get to meet with the other women uh, who are undertaking this journey as well. And I'd like to remind people that um, you are part of a very, very small subset of the population here in the U.S. or anywhere in the world. Uh, accompanying somebody who's discerning holy orders. Uh, very, there are very few people in this journey, and you need this support group uh, of other women who are at different part, uh, steps in this process to talk about the experience, to voice your concerns, to share in some of the opportunities and joys that also come out of the program. Um, so there are some wives-only retreat uh, and recollection pieces, but other other parts that wives come to are the same things that the men are doing. Um, and sort of beyond the required key events, as we call them, we invite women to take some of the academic classes and to come to other formation sessions for either their own enrichment or to kind of aid them in their own ministries if they are at all involved in ministries at the parish. Okay, Tasha, could, could, could I interject and just, um, Tasha, this is Richard. I'm just Please. curious. Is there a way, uh, say on a monthly basis, is there a way that you can put a, a number or a, a size of the, the commitment of the, of the wife during, during formation? How, how big a demand is that? Sure, how to, how to quantify it. I'd say in the aspirancy path, um, we ask the wives to come to more formation sessions because it's that initial prayer and discernment. And we want the wives at the very beginning of this potentially four-year journey to get involved, to become informed. So they probably, at the, at, at, in the aspirancy path, they'll attend a retreat at the beginning and at the end of the year. In the fall semester, they may attend eight or 10 different formation sessions put on by IDS. Um, and in the second semester, it's optional for them to participate in the catechism course. Now, during the course of the year, wives also have to meet with a spiritual director monthly just during that first year so that they can really uh, think about whether they can support their husband and get to know more about the vocation. Um, and they also have to do monthly theological reflection groups, which involve a couple of um, others from the cohort and a mentor deacon and his wife on a monthly basis. Um, so however many that comes out to maybe about 30 or so different meetings in the first year. Um, beyond that, wives um, may or may not do spiritual direction. That's up to them. But they do continue to do theological reflection groups. And we continually hear that they love those meetings. There are more intimate settings for building friendships, for being mentored, um, for studying the scripture listening to God and really talking together. So they continue to do that for as long as they're in the program. And then they come to some retreats and some liturgies, but all of the courses and formation sessions, for the most part, are optional for wives in the candidate path years one, two, and three. So I think the commitment is reasonable in terms of the requirements, but there's so much more opportunity beyond that. And the wives who are able to come to classes are always Sometimes they do better in the classes than the men do, but they're always very enriched by those experiences. We've got great professors and, and some really good courses in our curriculum. 
What's your, uh, just, I'm just curious, you know, spiritual direction is likely a brand new experience, not only for the men, but for the women as well. What's, uh, what's the feedback you get on that experience from, from the women? You're right. So it is often a very new concept and a new experience. Um, the women, some of the women do come in and with a spiritual director that they have a dedicated relationship with. Others don't. So we help pair them because we've got a, um, a number of relationships with spiritual directors who understand kind of our constituency and work with people. So women will say, you know, the first few meetings were a little bit awkward or I, I, did, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know what to talk about. Uh, what would the content of this be? But especially if they've made a good match with a spiritual director that they um, really resonate with and can open up to, um, they find that their prayer life is strengthened. They are guided towards a deeper relationship with God. Um, they're able to share really deep um, experiences and feelings. Uh, so they grow in their general spiritual life. Um, they form a strong kind of um, confidential relationship, um, but they're also able to talk openly about both their joys and concerns with the discernment process. So it helps them as individuals, but it helps them with the discernment process. Um, I think over time, within a few meetings, they really become comfortable and they begin to love it, especially if they found that really good match in their spiritual director. Yeah, it strikes me as just such a, a marvelous opportunity when it when it's clicking, you know, on, on all four, six or eight cylinders, what have you. But it just uh, uh, I found it richly rewarding and just uh, just the excitement of, of beginning that that process must be uh, must be wonderful for you to hear about. Absolutely. Sometimes uh, women will refer to this as like a hidden treasure of the church. Why don't more people know about spiritual direction? Why aren't we encouraged to, to find a spiritual director? Um, it's an investment of one's time, too, and um, maybe it's not understood how, how valuable of a time investment it is to grow in our relationship with God and come away changed and renewed from those meetings. Okay. Uh, thank you. You know, I... I Obviously, we, we, we were very concerned about the first vocation, and that's what we, what we want to make sure that this, that the, the activist doesn't affect, you know, negatively impact the first uh, vocation and, and all that ramifications of doing that. Um, how often do women withdraw their support? How often do women, sorry? Withdraw, they withdraw their support. Withdraw their support? Yes. So in my experience over the last handful of years, that withdrawal of support is very rare. I can't even think of um, any particular cases. If the wife is not able to, or willing to support her husband, they usually figure that out before they enter the program. So we'll have probably during that inquiry period, um, we, we were able to figure that out before they ever apply and enter even the aspirancy path. So I think it's fairly rare um, that in the midst of the program, the wife would simply withdraw her support. Um, I haven't seen too many cases. Sometimes a major change in life, maybe a, a move or a job change, or sometimes having to care for elderly parents, or sometimes overwhelming concerns with children um, can push that question or that envelope. But it's it's been rare in my experience, which is shorter than others here. But And, and that's what I expected, because um, one of the things that... Uh, 
you heard in our inquiry is, is how the deacon formation actually builds stronger marriage between the deacon and his wife, which we kind of said, yeah, right. And then after the end of four years, you're like, you know, it really does. It really does strengthen uh, the communication and the bond. Particularly, I think, is because the deacon recognizes the sacrifice that the wife is doing while he's in the program. Because while the deacon is doing a lot of these formation programs, it's the wife that's taking a little extra challenges on at home. Sure, absolutely. And and you're right. And we consistently get that feedback in these year-end interviews we have with everyone. Their marriages do get stronger. Their relationships with their kids even get better often. The family life is enriched. Um, if the program helps you grow spiritually and you're maturing spiritually, then certainly you'll become a better person, a more virtuous person, a more considerate spouse, maybe a better listener, better communicator. So absolutely. All right, Casa, I'd like to uh, ask uh, another question for you. In my class, uh, there was the full gambit of wives, from being, everything from being very active in their own ministry, others sort of approached with the uh, couple ministry, and yet others who saw their ministry as actually running the household, allowing their husbands to have the time to do their ministry. Um, is that... Does that still take place today, or what is happening today within the formation group with the wives and, and the deacons? I think that spectrum is certainly is still operative. Um, I, yeah, I can probably more closely speak to those in formation rather than post-formation, but um, you hear all of those pieces. There are some women who work for their parishes while their husband is in formation and are very involved in ministry. There are women who have never even thought about participating in any kind of parish ministries. Some are really driven in their careers and they're, you know, they fear having to maybe sacrifice some of that. Um, some women indeed will say, my ministry is to take care of the family, to help raise the children, to keep the home running smoothly so that indeed the husband can um, be supported that way as he goes off to classes, goes off to practica, um, and returns home. So that spectrum is certainly there. Um, each We have such a diversity of men and women uh, with us in the program, um, but each woman is really her own person. She has her own unique gifts or unique talents and her own call from God. Um, so we encourage them to really tune into that and continue developing their own call uh, wherever that may lead them. Despite pressure sometimes from the outside, maybe to, to be really involved in the parish or to be or do this or that, um, what we continually remind them to, to do is tune into their authentic self and, and fulfill the calling that they sense in their heart. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and, and like Kasha said, there's such a wide spectrum of, of uh, ages and backgrounds to the to the men and the women. So a lot of it does depend on what's happening in the home. I had the privilege that my kids were older so that I could attend the classes with my husband, and I learned a lot, and I cherished every moment of that. But I know some people just, it's absolutely an impossibility. So they, they are taking um, their ministry as taking care of everyone while their husband is in the program. Um, I had a, a, you know, a unique situation of being able to do that, and I enjoyed um, the camaraderie of the men and the women throughout the program. And I think it develops in you the sense of ministry, whether you're able to do it at that point in your life or not. 
And then that evolves in the woman as the years go on, as well as in the man. Right. I think you're right on, Melissa. Um, and yes, women, we have women in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, even in their early 60s. Some of them have many children. Some of them have no children. Some of them have children and grandchildren. Uh, we have couples who have children while they're in the program, and they admit that it's challenging, um, but often they find that there is a support system for them, and they're able to continue in the program. So it's a testing period. The program is a testing period for whether this is the right call and whether it's at the right time um, so that the family, the marriage remain intact and healthy. Um, and the man is able to freely uh, move forward with holy orders, and the wife is able to freely continue to support that. Yeah, yes. Tasha, Tasha, curious, how many uh, how many women are there right now in, in the English program? I think we're approximately 70 at, at, at the moment between aspirancy and the candidate path. Oh, so great. quite a few. Terrific. Now, is that your, is that your main uh, focus? at IDS or do you have other uh, items in your portfolio? Sure. So as the only associate director on staff right now, I'm, I back up all the different pieces of the program from the inquiry to the application process. Um, but one of my main uh, roles, I suppose, would be building the curriculum, overseeing the candidate path, perhaps a little more than the aspirancy path. Um, but in general, I, I support all of the different pieces of what we do as needed. Uh, but focus would be on the candidate path, also um, the wives retreat days and different kinds of support that we may offer wives. So you have your hands full. <laughs> we always do. It's never a dull moment. <laughs> uh, Deacon Mike had a question for you. Yeah. So is there any, any in, the, in the program where you take the family, right? you know, husband, wife, and children, and, and then put them together with the other uh, Deacon candidates you know, children, and is there any intervention in that area or program that puts them together as a family? As a family, we have, like I said, a numerous uh, formation sessions, retreats, days of recollection where the couple is present together, not necessarily the children. Um, before some of the retreats, so like before the institution of reader and acolyte, uh, retreats take place. We have some pieces that the men do at home with their family to reflect on um, that step forward in their journey. So in terms of something formal, um, we do have some activities that they do at home before they come on retreat. Um, children usually come to four IDS liturgies that we have throughout the year. Um, so they're able to meet the other cohorts, uh, meet the other families, spend a little social time together, um, and then there are lots of kind of organic, unexpected ways that the program touches the lives of the children and brings them into conversation with their parents about the process. But we don't necessarily schedule out a whole lot that involves the children at this point. Well, we're coming up on our first break. This is uh, the Deacon's Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 FM. And we'll be right back after a couple words from our sponsors.
you know that you can listen to WSFI local programming on demand? Full episodes of Pro-Life Today, WSFI Spotlight, Healing the Whole Person, Bursting Forth in Sound, along with our novenas, prayers, and devotions are available on your mobile device or online. For iPhone and iPad users, open the already installed podcast app and search for WSFI. Then click subscribe. Android users need to visit the Google Play Store, download the Stitcher app, create a free account, then search for WSFI. Add us to your favorites playlist by clicking the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. The full archive of local shows is also available at WSFIRadio.org. Need help? Call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. And now, a special Lenten message from Archbishop Jerome Lestecki, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Hello, Archbishop Lestecki here. The prophetic voice of John the Baptist reminds us that time is passing. Our days are numbered. We are closer to our end than the beginning. Are we prepared? Are we ready for what God has in store for us? Lent reminds us to put our lives in order. Don't waste another minute. See you at Mass. At Catholic Financial Life, our members are offered scholarship benefits from grade school through college. To learn more about eligibility for these or many other value-added benefits we offer, call Matt Tomlinson at 847-548-6288. That's 847-548-6288. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Hello, this is the Deacon's Roundtable. We're back from uh, break, and today's subject is the wise formation diaconate. And we have, we're lucky to have uh, Kasha from the uh, Mundelein Ceremony and Melissa, who has uh, also went through the program. So one of the questions that um, I was sort of wondering as you were talking about all of the formation is the Second Vatican Council's view was that we were all responsible for the mission of the church. Has this view helped the women in ministry and formation to more claim what is rightly theirs and their their ministry and making the church stronger? Um, I, I, I think it certainly has. I mean, I, I would have to say that through the 
course of formation um, that I developed a, a much broader sense of that, and I have become more and more involved in my church, and I had a, a part-time job there now also. And um, it, it's just been a wonderful experience for me. And I've always felt that in the program, felt comfortable with both the men and women. And I, I have to say that my husband and I, when he was alive, we were um, we had a, uh, a trig group or a theological reflection group together. And um, when he passed away, one of my thoughts was, oh, my gosh, I'm going to, I won't be able to meet with those couples anymore. And they were so wonderful that it was just an enjoyment to me. And um, to my surprise and delight, um, I actually still have that theological reflection group, even though I am not a deacon. Um, deacon Greg Webster sometimes comes and helps with the group. And I have actually a seminarian that frequently he loves the group, and he will come sometimes come and help also. Um, so that's been just a, a wonderful thing that has happened to me. Um, and so I feel that uh, the program is very open to that kind of thing, and it's just been it's just been a wonderful experience for me. And I have a little bit longer with them before they will be ordained. Sure, I, I think a lot of yeah. A lot of women will discover uh, ways that they're called or ways that they can participate over the course of this program. The more they give themselves over and kind of open up their heart and mind, uh, they may find these new opportunities to serve the church. And Melissa, we're so grateful that you've continued to serve us as well. You've been a real gift. Well, it's certainly been a wonderful gift to me. Uh, uh, Melissa, can you speak to some of the challenges that, that you and Peter face together in formation. I mean, formation is a time, it's a, it's a sine wave. There's time when you're, when you're not, you're down on it a little bit, and there's down thoughts when you're high on it. And can you talk a little bit about the experience, the experience about going through it as a couple, not so much um, just Peter going through it? Um, yeah, I can. I think, you know, um, the time commitment, time management was a big thing. And you, you just have to really learn how to do that individually and as a couple together and just be a real true partnership that, you know, when, when one person can't do certain things, the other one has to step in. So, um, so you realize the commitment of the ministry then ultimately when, when you're done with the program. Um, I would have to say a big challenge was, uh, the coursework for Peter. Um, he, only had uh, one year of college, and so he felt very inferior going into the program. And, um, you know, that was a challenge to him. And so together, we I helped him. We helped each other um, developing writing skills and reading skills and studying skills. Um, that was a challenge that, you know, neither of us thought about ahead of time. Um, and... Uh, that was unbelievable. I mean, I just saw the transformation in him, and then it was good for me that we did things together in terms of that, and so that was wonderful. Um, I would have to say that, you know, there's sometimes when it seems like such a, um, a distant possibility to be ordained, and, um, you know, you know you're, you're on the path, but you, you can't see the big picture sometimes. So that's, that's, that was a big 
effort on our part together just to remind ourselves that this is what, you know, God's calling us to do, and we just have to do what we can to, to meet that goal. Um, and I do think that's where a lot of the other people in the program, um, that's the importance of them. They encourage each other um, for the most part, and, you know, you find people that you have some things in common with and you can discuss things with without, you know, um, you know, you, you vent, really, so to speak. And I think that's a necessary part of that, too. And I think you, you grow together um, as a group also. And uh, when you do those kinds of things and discuss them, you realize people are going through the same thing. And I, I would say, Melissa, it was it was my privilege to accompany you and Pete and a few others during part of that formation, and uh, it was it was a blessing to watch everybody just everybody to grow. It was uh, what we spent three years, two years together, and yeah, three, yeah. it was a blessing three, for me. Yep. Three years, yeah, it was a blessing. It was a blessing for us, too, and I think those small groups um, are, are very important. Um, I really do, because then you, you know, you're, you're not talking to the whole class. You're, you're discussing things in your small groups, and you're learning. Uh, you break open the scripture in, in a different way than you do in a class situation. So that develops a wonderful camaraderie and, um, you know, uh, a good place to, to discuss things with each other. You know, I was always amused that Peter felt challenged by the program because he's the one that I always bounced my homilies and things off of because he is such a such a a, a touch for what's going on in the parish. So, and I I always I always told him I said Peter, don't worry about the academics. It's uh, it's the heart that, that that you need to focus on. And and I, I I do I believe that's true, and I appreciate you saying that, and I think Peter felt that in the end. But um, you know he. He was challenged, and, and it was a good challenge uh, for both of us. And I think, but I think that's also a good example to people that, you know, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in, in um, you know, theology or psychology or any of those things to be a deacon. It's got to be what you realize that God's will is for you. And then it also, I, I think what it did for Peter was brought out his talent in the course of those years. Yeah, I remember Peter. He was such a humble person, and he he was sharing with me also the academic challenges. And I remember telling him, Peter, you already have what it takes to be a deacon. You don't need the academics; those are just props to help you. And he was he was a very good deacon. People loved him. So one of the questions I have for our guests is that. Uh, many deacons and people also in formation, they use their wives as a sounding board to make sure that they're not missing the big picture. And that's especially true when people are putting together homilies. How does this woman's perspective help the church to understand and to grow towards being more open to the whole community? Well, I, I, I think that it's very important. I think that, um, you know, you... People, we all have a tendency to see things through our own eyes and through our own experiences. And I think it's always important to get another point of view 
um, and to put all those things together and, and discuss it together and say, well, did you ever think about looking at it this way? Um, I think I think it's important when um, there's a discussion, like in those theological reflection groups with, with the other uh, couples. I think that's important because people, again, come with their background and experiences. And, um, you know, I think it, it's always good to bounce things off of a couple of people because, um, you know, you have a tendency, like I said, to see things through your own eyes where you really need to open it up to the whole church. And as I don't know if it was Dorothy Day, and I think someone before her said, well, the Catholic Church, here comes everybody. So you have to kind of realize that there's a lot of different um, things going on within the same community. Sure, I, I can definitely second that. And many of the wives accompanying their husbands in the program too serve as different kind of sounding boards. Some of them, you know, help proofread papers. Some of them will listen to a sample homily and, and give some critique. Um, but just like somebody said, Peter had his uh, finger on the pulse of the parish and he knew the needs and, and the prayers of the community and could bring them forward in their ways. The wives are tuned into the community as well, and they may have some really important input as to what the parishioners want or need to hear in a homily or uh, may be able to help shape some of those reflections uh, because they're tuned in uh, to, to different parts of the parish community themselves. Uh, but in that intimate context between the husband and the wife, the wife can be honest, the wife can be compassionate, and she can say things to him to help him see the big picture that maybe others couldn't. She she has the she privilege of. She can say. What were you thinking? What's yeah, wrong with you? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Exactly. Yep. No, I think that's actually one of the strengths I think of the diaconate is that we do have our wives who have, have been formed and they help us to make sure that we don't miss that big picture. Because you're right, I think we can just go with our blinders on and miss half the world. Sure. Yep. Well, one of the other things was sort of um, just looking around that I uh, stumbled across was actually a uh, blog out of Seton Hall University called it is called Call to Greater Love. And the, the mission of this blog is to serve wives of deacons and deacon candidates from around the world. And it was one way to offer women of the diaconate community some support. And I know in, in this archdiocese, there's a diaconate women's group and a widow's group. Um, do you know of any other groups around that uh, offer support to women in their ministry, um, in both in formation and especially post-formation. Well, in, uh, I, I can speak a, a bit to the post-formation, and that is that uh, we do have the, uh, uh, we, do, we do maintain contact with, uh, with the wives and, and the widows. There is an annual retreat uh, that, we, that we fund uh, for the wives and the widows. Um, we do a, uh, a luncheon every summer uh, all the widows, uh, English-speaking, Spanish-speaking, and the widowers as well are, are invited to that. And we'll get, I don't know, 20, maybe 25 people sometimes um, to come to that. And they, it's, there's a great deal of joy expressed there. We have, uh, we have mass and then we break for lunch. Um, the, 
Spanish-speaking uh, community, the uh, Hispanic Association. There's a there's a new president uh, past six months or so, and he's making a special effort. Uh, Maria Delgado of of our office is, uh, uh, is is working to go through the entire list of uh, the uh, Hispanic widows and reaching out to them and making the inquiry. Hey, are you? Don't forget that uh, you're, you're you're invited to things. Uh, it's a it's a sensitive walk for you know we don't want to uh, impose ourselves or be a burden, but just want to make sure that we're making that invitation. Um, so we we try to do it uh, tenderly and sensitively. Um, uh, one of the uh, uh, Joe Walsh's. Uh, Widow, uh, Deacon Joe Walsh, uh, died a couple years ago, and his wife has been uh, very active in, in helping us uh, reach out to the to the widows. So we've we've got that that going, and um, we're also very interested if if somebody needs a few bucks to uh, to work on getting something organized. You know, we've got the wherewithal through through the budget of the office, as well as we can put the arm on the diaconate council to to help with that. So it's um, again, walking the line between, you know, you got to come and be with us, and uh, on the other hand, we, we would love to, to be of service. Uh, we, we try to walk that line. So there's, there's that going on. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know, uh, and, I, and I can sure speak to uh, what Deacon Puzzick just said, because I, I get the mailings and all the outreaches, uh, um, here at home, and I would also have to say, if I don't know of any, um, let's say, uh, formal group, support group, um, there sure is a lot of informal support. And I would have to say that the whole Deacon community um, has been nothing short of wonderful to me um, from, you know, from the funeral on. And I still, you know, get calls once in a while from some people and uh, that were classmates of Peter, and um, there's a, one of uh, one of the deacons that started out in our class and became a deacon later. Lost his wife, so you know every now and then, you know we'll we'll text each other just to, to see how each other's doing, which is a wonderful source of support. And um, I'm Facebook friends with some people in the diaconate community, which is a nice thing. And then also I. Um, I would say, like like I said, people will help me out, and I know that if I need anything, I could call probably any one of them, and um, and they would be here to support me. So I have to say that the relationships that you build up within your within your cohort um, just uh, are incredible and a good source of of support. Right, And I'm not sure of necessarily other outside groups, but during formation, uh, we do draw on uh, wives of deacons uh, to assist us in different ways, whether as theological reflection group facilitators, whether as mentors for individual wives who would like some additional conversation partners or additional support. Um, and then sometimes we do have um, wives of deacons from other dioceses maybe come in and speak. Uh, sometimes we'll have panels of different deacons' wives. So we really use the local resources as much as possible and 
we try to tune into what the wives currently in the program really need. It's still a very personal kind of process. Yeah, that's been my experience in the archdiocese that the uh, whole community through all the different parts of formation and post-formation, um, they do whatever they can to help each other along this journey. And it's absolutely great to see. Well, Melissa, one of the questions uh, there for you. Um, do you see a priority in your ministry or towards your ministry um, since Peter's death? And uh, how does the community help support you within your ministry? Uh, yeah, I, I, I just had a ton of support from, from St. Emily's as well. Um, from, you know, people, again, just reaching out and talking to me or asking me, you know, do I need anything, that kind of thing. And um, I, I do feel like there was somewhat of a, a change in focus. Um, I am doing some things that we did together. You know, I'm doing alone or I'll grab someone else to try to help me. Um, but I feel like what, um, what has happened is I see some other needs in our church in terms of faith formation. So I, when I can and if I can, I try to reach out in, in that arena. Um, and, of course, I'm constantly educating people about deacons because there's still a lot of misconceptions and people don't really know um, what deacons are, um, you know, uh, not so much in my own community because they they saw Peter and we had a deacon years before that that, um, you know, contributed a lot to the church. But, but, you know, you talk to some other people or people coming to your parish to visit or new people in the parish and they don't really know what that is. So uh, that has also become part of my ministry to educate about deacons um, as best I can. And um, and that's been a wonderful thing. But um, I would say, again, I would say the focus has changed just in, um, in terms of different kinds of faith formation. I think Pete and I didn't really have the opportunity to get into too much of that, um, you know, before he passed away. But, um, you know, I know that w that was part of his intent also. And I also have to say, I, we don't have kids at the school. Our kids did not go to the school, but the school has, was a really big, important place for Peter. And so I find that I am always outreaching to the school to see if I can help them or what I can do for them. So that's definitely changed. I wasn't involved in as much of that prior to his death, and, and now I really am. All right. Thank you very much. So we have come up on uh, time for our second break. This is WSFI 88.5 FM, and you're listening to the Deacon's Roundtable. Lenten message from Archbishop Jerome Lestecki, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Hello, Archbishop Lestecki here. The prophetic voice of John the Baptist reminds us that time is passing. Our days are numbered. We are closer to our end than the beginning. Are we prepared? 
Are we ready for what God has in store for us? Lent reminds us to put our lives in order. Don't waste another minute. See you at Mass. At Catholic Financial Life, our members are offered scholarship benefits time. from grade school through college. <laughs> to learn more about eligibility for these or many other value-added benefits we offer, call Matt Tomlinson at 847-548-6288. That's 847-548-6288. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? or you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life. The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. This is uh, Deacon David Egan and the temporary host, uh, guest host of uh, WSFI 80.5 FM, the Deacon's Roundtable. And today's subject is the formation of the women wives in the diaconate community. Um, so we've heard a lot about what is going on and how women are, are being formed to become true ministers within the church. So one of the questions I'd like to throw out um, for all of us to discuss is that I was at a conference this past weekend, and we were celebrating the 50th year anniversary of the restoration of the permanent diaconate. And one of the things the speaker reminded us that even though 50 years sounds like a very long time, we're still realistically at the very beginning of the process of understanding and implementing the vision of the Second Vatican Council. So I'd like to throw it out to... Everybody, what areas do you see where we need to grow with women ministry in the church? One of the things that I'm I'm always taken with the the national directory, sort of our uh, our guidebook as to uh, how to do this uh, diaconate business uh, publication of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. They make a a strong emphasis on the degree to which husband and wife, deacon and wife, need to grow together. Um, that if 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 you look only at the deacon who is married and don't um, uh, focus also on his wife, then in a sense he could be off growing in, in some direction, and and she and she's not. Um, or vice versa, that uh, you, you want to to enrich both the sacrament of, of marriage as well as the sacrament of holy orders. The, the two have to be growing together, uh, at least have that opportunity available. And so I think one of the areas that uh, that certainly we can we can do better on is that uh, is that unity of uh, 
of educational opportunities uh, post-ordination for, for both the men and the women. Um, and, and spend more time, I think, frankly, on working on that, that complex interaction of marriage and holy orders, acknowledging that there are um, an entire range of, of involvement of, of either husband or wife in one ministry or another, and one size isn't going to fit all. But uh, I think we can we can spend more time thinking about what that might look like. That that would be a, a dream of mine. I agree with that very much, Deacon uh, uh, Richard. Um, in, in my own uh, formation and growth as a, as a deacon, I would not have done it without the help and the support of my my partner, my wife, even in the practical things I do with the ministry, even in the preparation of homilies, my wife has become an important factor in in the preparation of the homily, even in the in delivery and feedback. Um, even in the other ministries, she has a different context, a certain perspective that sometimes I miss on. And, and I really want to encourage the wives to, to, to share more of their, uh, their, their own skills and knowledge and providing them uh, additional academic uh, preparation or maybe support is, is really excellent. Any other comments you would like to share? I, I yeah, I, w I would just second both of those comments. So the, the deacon candidate and later the deacon must live out both of these sacraments in harmony and in balance so that the marriage continues to grow, the spouses continue to grow together, as Deacon Hudzik said, uh, rather than one or the other growing apart. Um, because together as a married couple, the deacon and his wife are an example of fidelity to each other, the fidelity of Christ. Uh, to his church. Um, they have so much to share with younger couples who are maybe discerning marriage and so much to share with, with everybody uh, in the parish and in the world in terms of uh, a faithful, committed love and a sacrificial love. So I think, yes, strengthening marriage and maybe couples could work together in marriage ministry. I think that's one area where a lot of um, couples will go um, and again, we encourage wives to try to discover where God may be calling them. Sometimes they discover a real desire or a real talent that they have um, that they're able to, to live out later. So some of the more recently ordained deacons uh, come back and help us in different ways, but their wives also find that they want to um, be trig facilitators or they want to be able to continue giving back to the program in some way because of how much they've received. So we hope that women find uh, what it is God is calling them to do with their particular talents. Because one of the things that I've seen a lot, and it's a very privileged time to see it, is that as the couple grows within the diaconate community, many times the wife is actually taking the lead towards the ministry and driving the ministry. Um, and that's always a great pleasure to see of seeing someone empowered just to do ministry and the impact that it has on the whole community, not just the diaconate, but the whole 
church community and seeing the powerfulness of that ministry. Because Dave, that's very, very true with uh, my wife. She's very timid. Okay? She's shy. She'd be in the background. I never imagined okay, that she would be what she's doing today. It's like it's like she grew. She unfolded. And there she is in the parish, very active. Yes. And people love that activity. Absolutely. So the spirit can certainly transform any and all of us if we're open to it, certainly. And we have a living example. Melissa, you are a living example of that blossoming. <laughs> and, and, and I saw that from year one all the way to now, even if Peter isn't around. You're, you're there, uh, very strong in the ministry. You're, you're giving it your all. Well, I think, you know, I think that once you, you um, learn that you can be involved in the ministry and that if you feel like it's something that you're able to do, um, I, I think you get the encouragement to do it. And I, I think that parishes overall are really trying to involve women more, not just um, women in the diaconate program, but but all women. I mean, you know, we've got some we've got some ways to go on that too. But um, I feel like I see more people, you know, leading discussion groups um, in their church or a Bible study or things like that, and it's very encouraging to me. And I think once once you, um, if if that's what you're called to do, once you feel the um, satisfaction and um, the involvement with other people and the interaction with other people, it, it's just such a grace to, to be involved in the ministry. And, um, and, you know, as one of my friends always says, God didn't call the qualified, he qualified the call. And I think we need to know that. That's uh, very true. That, I mean, it's just seeing people get into ministry, especially some of the I was thinking of a couple of examples where people were relatively timid when they're stepping in, but they felt a lot more comfortable and they caused these ministries to grow well beyond what anyone even thought that could go to. And I said, it's just, I find that just fascinating to watch. You know, on the, uh, uh, I don't want to say the negative side, but one of the things that we're, we're cognizant of post-ordination is, especially with the the, the newly ordained is to uh, disabuse them of the, uh, the, the Superman syndrome. Um, we've had a few occasions where the deacon says yes to absolutely everything, and uh, you know, he's got uh, wife and family at home who, who don't see him regularly because he's off doing good stuff. And, you know, it's, it's good stuff, but we one of the things we work with the, the guys, here and there it comes up, that don't forget you've got a family. You're not uh, you're not serving the Lord by forgetting a, uh, a mighty, mighty important uh, obligation. So we have to we have to work on that. Every once in a while, it, it surfaces. It's not a major problem, but it's it's certainly something that we'll be talking to the, the new class, the uh, the 2018s, um, uh, when we meet with them uh, just before ordination. Uh, it's something we, we always stress that uh, the uh, you know, ordination is the beginning of your ministry. It's you've got a whole lifetime to do it. You don't have to do it all the first year. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that that's true, and that's why it's important that the whites are incorporated into the program from the get-go because, um, you know, sometimes that's, they're the voice of reason, sometimes not. But, um, but you just that they, you just have to keep reminding yourself about a balance. And, and some people are better at balancing than others. And, you know, so that's what you have to, it has to be an interchange between you and your husband all the time about and, and the family things and stuff like that. I was just saying to someone the other day, I felt like Peter, maybe, uh, Sometimes people keep telling me these things he did, and I'm surprised by many of them. And I think, wow, you know, maybe he, uh, he learned how to bilocate because he, I never felt that he wasn't at my side. And I think that's important. And I think if I ever did feel that, then I said to him, hey, listen, you know, you need to, you need to spend some more time here. Um, but I think that's important every single step of the way. Right. Wives have that bigger picture in mind again, and they're able to remind their husbands if they are saying yes to too many things and maybe have to draw some boundaries or peel back a little bit and be able to spend the right amount of time at home or relaxing or with other kinds of activities. So, yes, absolutely with that. It, it does occasionally crop up. Okay, and I have just been informed that uh, we're starting to push the limits on the time for our show. So one of the things I'd actually like to do is uh, close with a prayer. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Thank you, God, for allowing us to explore this topic that you've given us of women's formation and the development of women and the impact that they have in the church. We ask you to bless all the women who do do their ministry, and sometimes when it's not really appreciated or said to them how much it is appreciated. But you give the grace, the wisdom, and the understanding to work all this through for the greater glory of your kingdom. Amen. 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 And I want to thank, thank all you. the guests that we had today, Carson, Melissa, and Deacon Greg, Deacon Richard, Deacon Mike. And on behalf of WSFI, this is uh, Deacon Dave Egan, and we welcome you to our next show of the Deacon's Roundtable. <laughs>